Hello and welcome to Marvel by the Month. My name's Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Milne. And uh, we are in, this is the third episode of our third season. Um, it's also uh, the third episode of our lockdown quarantine lifestyle. Um, how's it treating you so far? Uh, pretty good. I am I'm did, you know, figure out the whole put on real pants uh-huh. and uh, at least put on vans. Um, don't. <laughs> Don't run around in slippers. So right. I've uh, started to be more productive, but it's still been a, a little disorienting. Yeah. I don't have a routine, um, but I'm still following my projects, doing drawing, getting my old keyboard set up, putting I've put 20 songs, ran, now two albums worth of randomness up on SoundCloud. <laughs> um, and I have my friend uh, Tobe looking for uh, old recordings from studio recordings that we did for the free martins and tilting at windmills so i'm gonna have a whole bunch of stuff up there soon but i'm not really feeling manic I, this is totally my jam yeah um, yeah <laughs> no you're always someone who's had several uh several projects going at any given time so yeah um, and drumming is my exercise when there's too much pollen outside <laughs> it's funny the difference between um what you're able to do during quarantine uh, when you have no children versus when you have a kid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel my coworkers as well. They're just, they're trying to do homeschooling and they're you know trying to take a break to do something with the kids specific. And it's really hard for them. So yeah, yeah I, I realized that I, I have it pretty good. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so yeah. What, how's it going with Jack? Is he, um, he, you know, are you yeah. getting organized with that? Well, you know, you, it, it's funny. Like, I would say, like, day one, week one of quarantine, uh, I had this elaborate schedule uh, all printed out. Um, you know, it's like, you know, here's what we're going to be doing at this time, and this is how we're going to keep things rolling. And, like, by day three, we had basically abandoned that. Um, and so now it's really – I mean, he's in first grade, you know, so um, – there's like basic skill stuff that we have to work out and keep fresh, but you know, like he's reading, um, and he's reading because I, I keep giving him stuff he enjoys reading. Um, so right. I'm not too <laughs> concerned about that. He's good with, you know, the basic levels of math that he needs to do right now. And you know, his, his school is they're They're trying to get like a homeschool, like distance learning thing up and running, but, um, that's a very difficult thing to just try to pull out of thin air with no resources and no preparation. Um, yeah. You know, and, and absolutely no money and yeah. no money <laughs> as <Yeah>. usual. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Portland public schools, uh, not terribly well funded. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, we just found out today that, uh, the governor has, uh, basically canceled the rest of the school year. So, um, originally he was just going to be home until, uh, you know, the end of April. And now it's like, no, like we don't want him back till September. So, um, you know, it's, that was, uh, I guess not terribly unexpected, but it's sort of like, 
you know, I, I feel like a lot of my day I'm caught between, um, like not being able to focus on something that I'm trying to get done because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be the point person for my kid. Um, but then I also just feel like I'm constantly telling him like, I can't hang out right now. I can't hang out right now. So, you know, it's like, I, it's like, what do I want to feel worse about? <laughs> oh, like That's the struggle. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, the worst thing for me, I think right now is dishes are constant. Oh, and yeah. I do, I yeah. always do the dishes. So it's like, I got to get the dishes that are left from the night done in the morning. Cause that's also Barb's office now right. is our kitchen. Uh-huh. So, yep. Uh, I try to go in there around her, you know, whatever video calls and, (laughs) and not show up on them as a guest star, (laughs) see a lot of guest stars on my, uh, work, you know, zoom, which is, uh, 40 ish people. So it's just a lot of little tiny windows. Uh, yeah, again, I'm thankful for the, uh, the lack of kids, which was, you know, (laughs) a choice, but, uh, (laughs) um, I sometimes, you know, we think, I think that would be great uh, to be, you know, exploring the world through the mind of your child. Right. Um, and I watch, watch you do it, but I'm pretty happy just being a child. So it's working out. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to cut myself some slack and, and just, you know, I, I saw something going around the other day where it said, look, you're not trying to work from home you are at home in the middle of a crisis trying to work. Um, and I think when you really kind of internalize that, you're like, okay, yeah, um, this is not normal times. Uh, right. You know, it's not peak performance time for, not at for all. work. No, no. So, um, you know, but we muddle along um, and, uh, you know, this can't go on forever. So um, yeah. we just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah. And it looks like we're, you know, uh, like a giant boat slowly starting to turn now. Yeah. So we'll see. Well, um, yeah, Oregon we'll see if se- the numbers hold up. Yeah. I was going to say Oregon seems to be doing really well. Um, yeah. The West Coast in general seems to be doing pretty well. So but also it's like this is early days, you know, it's like what happens when the weather gets and stays nice uh, and people want to be out of the house like, oh, man yeah yeah <laughs> that's when the that's when some ridiculous scenes are going to happen that we would never imagine in our lives yeah. which which i'm just perversely looking forward to seeing whatever <laughs> just the weird shots of like national guard keeping people from a beach or whatever right. it is yeah, just something like those that. things that are going to happen yeah um and uh yeah it just sounds like a the that part of me that likes bizarre spectacle in the abstract will enjoy those but um uh the other part of me you know will be screaming inside at the people trying to you know mess up and inadvertently kill other people yeah which is really what that's about yeah pretty much Uh, (laughs) yeah everyone just has to stay inside and read comics i don't know how how many times we have to say this honestly i'm getting a little sick of uh 2020 um so let's let's jump in the time machine and head back to 1965 and get this thing going what do you say (laughs) i'm down with that awesome let's do it okay cool well um so uh all the comics that we read uh for this episode um they hit the newsstands in june 1965 according to mike's amazing world.com which the more i explore that site uh the more i realize it is just like this amazing treasure trove of information it's so good um yeah any like real hardcore comics nerds should poke around in there for a couple of minutes. Um, you will really enjoy this rabbit hole. I promise. 
Um, so yeah, so the books are not cover dated June, 1965. Um, if you're looking for them in Marvel unlimited, uh, which is where we read the comics, um, so that we can talk about them. Um, you're going to want to search for August or September, uh, 1965 publication dates. Uh, again, the cover dates are starting to get out of sync with each other. So that's why we're switching to release dates. Um, and so, yeah, August, September 1965 is when these have these are cover dated, uh, except for there's two annuals that we read uh, for this episode. Journey into Mystery Annual number one is listed as having a January 1965 publication date for some <laughs> reason. Um, An Amazing Spider-Man Annual number two has uh, an October 65 publication date. So uh, that's where you'll find them if you're looking for them. Um, Marvel Unlimited, not the easiest thing to browse, but uh still the best value uh, for your entertainment dollar. Um, yeah, it's better than trolling eBay for um, fairly expensive comics, even when they're in bad condition. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you were trying to get your get your hands on these and yeah. read them, it's it would be almost impossible. Oh, yeah. It, like, I, yeah. I'm working on trying to put together a collection of the Marvel Epic collections. And like even with those, even if you're getting them at very good prices, um, it's still... That's expensive. If you want to see a, uh, a complete reading list of everything that we checked out for this month, um, you can look at our show notes. Um, uh, we're not talking about every issue in every episode any longer. Um, so if there's something that we overlooked that you think is deserving of a highlight, um, why don't you uh, send us an email, uh, marvelbythemonth at gmail.com. Uh, let us know what you think uh, deserves a little bit more love uh, than we gave it, um, and we'll be happy to revisit stuff. Before we get rolling on the comics, let's just get a little historical context for June 1965. Here's what was going on in the world uh, as these issues were hitting the stands. On June 3rd, 1965, Gemini 4 astronaut Ed White became the first American to walk in space. He was the second person in history to do so after Alexei Leonid's spacewalk three months earlier. Um, he was not an American, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> we were really running silver medals on, on the space program for a while there. <laughs> yeah, but we won uh, the only gold that counts. We have to wait till 69 <laughs> to get there. But Yeah. June 12th, 1965, the Beatles were appointed members of the British Empire, the lowest of the five classes of the Order of the British Empire. <laughs> Since it was unusual for popular musicians to be appointed as MBEs, a number of previous recipients complained and protested uh, MP Hector Dupuis commented, uh, British royalty has put me on the same level as a bunch of vulgar numbskulls. <laughs> and he said that, I'm sure, with the most posh accent. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, th one, this is not the same as knighthood. Uh, Ringo Starr received his knighthood in 2018. So <laughs> that's a much higher... <laughs> higher level yeah um paul mccartney did it more than a decade earlier in 1997 john lennon returned his mbe as an anti-war protest in 1969 yeah so uh so the beatles um are members of the order of the british empire yes um so on the 14th just a couple days later riding high off their induction into the order of the british empire the beatles recorded yesterday for the first time Paul McCartney literally dreamed up the melody earlier in the year, but avoided putting lyrics to it because he was certain it was a subconscious memory of someone else's work. Uh, <laughs> it's a great story. And he, he did that with a number of songs where there's a little piano and the, um, I've, I've heard, a, I listen to the Beatles channel on XM whenever I, I can and uh, hear a lot of stories about 
people who were living with him when he was writing some of the stuff. So it's, yeah, he just, he often dreamed songs and thought he, they had to be somebody else's work. That's very cool. On the uh, 16th of June, 1965, U.S. Secretary of Defense Robert S. McNamara announced in Washington that 22,000 additional American troops were being sent to South Vietnam while conceding that the war was going unfavorably for the United States. The additional deployment would raise the number of U.S. soldiers and officers in South Vietnam to 72,000. Wow. Yeah. Um well, on the same day, the U.S. Senate voted 72 to 5 to approve the Federal Cigarette Labeling and Advertising Act, which would require the warning label on all packs of cigarettes with the statement, caution, cigarette smoking may be hazardous to your health. <laughs> yes. So strong, strong words. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and then uh, on the 26th of June, 65, General William C. Westmoreland, commanding the U.S. Army in South Vietnam, was granted authority by the Department of Defense, quote, to commit U.S. ground forces anywhere in the country when, in his judgment, they were needed to strengthen South Vietnamese forces, end quote. By the end of 1965, there would be 184,000 American troops in Vietnam, more than eight times as many as had been there at the start of the year. Wow. Yeah. So we've gone from... Well, you know, whatever 184 divided by eight is, um, but there's, you know, there were 72,000 um, uh, that were going to be um, bulked up in June um, with McNamara's order. Um, and then they were going to just throw on another more than 100,000 by the wow. end of the year. Um, so, yeah, we are literally just throwing bodies at this thing. But it all works out. It all yeah. works out great. Yeah. I love that uh, on the same day that, um, you know, we're bumping up the number of drafted military personnel who are going to be going over to Vietnam. We're also, you know, putting warning labels on packs of cigarettes uh, because that stuff's dangerous. <laughs> it may be dangerous. <laughs> it may be dangerous. We're not sure, but let's not take any chances. Um, so, yeah, there you go. 1965. Crazy in its own way as the times we're living in right now, but uh, at least it's a different flavor of crazy. So nice yeah. little uh, palate cleanser there. Yep. Well, let's take a, a palate cleanser of our own, a uh, little break here. Um, let's listen to some of that new incidental music that you cooked up in the last nice. week or two. Um, okay. And when we come back, um, we will swing into action with Mr. Spider-Man here on Marvel by the Month. <laughs> Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Let's get into the comics. I'll start us off with Amazing Spider-Man number 28. Uh, this is written by Stan Lee, plot and art by Steve Ditko. Um, it's called The Menace of the Molten Man. Not to be confused with the Lava Men or... Um, <laughs> Spidey gets his costume back finally. So his main problem from the last couple issues was having... Uh, a store-bought costume yes a, a like halloween costume um so he finally gets it back he visits spencer smite's laboratory before his graduation ceremony and switches it out for the crappy one he bought so uh he does the old switcheroo because smite hasn't really looked at it yet right and it's a good thing he gets it back because the molten man becomes spidey's latest adversary in that same lab yes <laughs> Uh, he's a research assistant named Mark Raxton. Um, he shows up at Smythe's laboratory while Peter's recovering his costume. So um, Raxton and Smythe worked on a liquid metal alloy together 
So Smythe provided the money, the equipment, and the idea, and he wants his share to sell to the highest bidder. So when I was reading this, I wondered, like, because Ditko's plotting Spider-Man now. So I was wondering, is this like is this kind of his commentary about what it's like to work with Stan Lee? <laughs> like Smythe so. is, you know, Smythe is saying, it's like, I, I did all the work. I put up all the money. I, you know, came up with the original idea and all that. And Raxon's like, tough. We did it together. I'm taking it. Um, yep. yeah. So it's <laughs> like, it, it I, and you know, knowing that Ditko does not stick around much longer, like we're less than a year away from him leaving Marvel comics for an extended period of time. Um, wouldn't shock me if that kind of thing was starting to creep in. Yeah. Um, the subtext of Rocky working relationships. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and, um, I'm mostly, uh, finished reading this really amazing, uh, book, uh, called Marvel Chronicle, um, which basically is, uh, Marvel by the month, the book. Um, so it's like, there's three or four pages devoted to each year of Marvel comics up to like 2008. Um, and they mention you know, a couple things about most months, uh, you know, as you're going through it. Um, but they did mention in there that Ditko came up with the idea for J Jonah Jameson. And it was meant to be a commentary about Stan Lee. Like it's meant to be a parody of Stan Lee basically. Ooh. So, um, Damn. which I had always kind of suspected, but this is the first time I'd actually seen someone confirm that. So, right. um, yeah, I thought that was pretty great. Uh, so yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Ditko was, you know, was seeing a little bit of himself in, um, what the hell is the guy's name? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Spencer Smythe. Yeah. Spencer Smythe. Yeah. Well, you know, whenever I can see you again, I'd like to borrow <laughs> that book from you. Oh, totally. Uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah. My friend Jim Sparnan gave it to me. Um, and uh, uh, I just touched base with him earlier this week to check in on him. He lives in Brooklyn, which, you know, obviously New York is having a real tough time of it right now. He's doing yeah. great. Um, but I was finally he gave it to me like a couple of years ago when I was first talking about doing the podcast. Um, and uh, yeah, he's like, well, this will probably help you then. Why don't you just take this with you? Um, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> it, it, he's awesome. a, a great dude. Yeah. Um, yeah, I will have to. I, I have. A, I'm behind like two biographies. You and I read um, a one right before we started this. Just sort of the history of the the Marvel bullpen. Oh um, right, yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, that was where I stopped, and I got hung up in that Alan Moore book. So I'm uh, <laughs> <laughs> still. I still have like uh, 200 pages or so of that Jerusalem. So. Oh, yeah. um, that's why everything else I borrowed from you, um, including, you know, graphic novels, collections are in the pile underneath that. So. <laughs> well, if you ever make it through that, you'll be the only person I've ever met who has. So, um. well, I'm so close. I, I've made it through so much of the nonsense speaking and craziness. So I think I can do it. <laughs> It, and it it's genuine it's really good right. and it's you know like this world is that he's made is so awesome but i wish that he had taken a little bit more editing to it right yeah uh, yeah uh that was a, a double tangent so um <laughs> yeah basically this is a, the undertones and there are some other undertones whatever Ditko's working on it's it's like it seems like he's always some some slight at the controlling you know, uh, person who talks a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. that's, that's where J JJ is Stan for sure. Always spinning, always selling. So this fight, the struggle between, um, Raxton and Smythe, um, the alloy spills and soaks into Raxton's skin, making him appear to be a man made of molten metal. 
a molten man, if you will. Oh, I think I will. Thank you. And uh, so he quickly figures out he's super strong. He's virtually impervious to harm and Spidey's webs won't stick to him. So uh, his clothes also seem to rip off easily. Yes. And he, he kind of rips his clothes to make himself look. He, he says like it's his costume. I don't. Yeah. Like he rips his clothes like a pants ripped to shorts. Right. And then like a shirt that's ripped up that sort of hangs by them, too. And he's like says like that's his costume yeah you know like it's like how you like he's, how you like my daisy dukes <laughs> he's designed he designed daisy dukes uh as his costume and thinks somehow that's gonna work but he i mean he does already look like you know the oscar so uh, right yeah um yeah and that's for you to just imagine the oscar as a villain there you go everyone <laughs> um <laughs> uh so he's in his daisy dukes and uh he goes uh spidey goes after him um after making sure Smythe is okay spidey underestimates him at first and is shocked at raxton's strength and endurance he gets a couple big hits um they wind up tumbling down in the cellar of raxton's hideout where spidey knocks out the lights and uses his spidey sense to gain the advantage um sort of daredevil move yeah his webs his webs won't stick to raxton so he makes thick uh, web ropes and ties slip knots and uh, with them to bind up Braxton's arms and legs. So he's got to like hog tie him. Yeah, basically. Um, like his metal skin is smooth enough that he's kind of having to readjust them and everything. But this is like the first time Spidey's actually gotten any sort of control over this fight. Yeah. And it, yeah, <laughs> Spidey always starts overconfident, gets whopped. That's how it goes. Yep. Wall- walloped. Um, so Spidey leaves him for the cops because he's got to get to, uh, Peter Parker's graduation, yeah. um, which is a, it's a pretty big deal. I, I like the, the way that Ditko puts in a human, you know, there's always a human moment or interaction, it, you know, something that's familiar to most people yes. in, in a story. And that's what makes Peter so real to a lot of people. Um, so uh, Spider-Man debuted in 1962, and this issue came out three years later. So, so right now we're still running uh, almost parallel in time. Yeah, this yeah. is where Marvel isn't uh, doing the the weird aging that we all are familiar with. Right, now. The, the sliding time scale or whatever they call it, where it's like, yeah, you know, the, the Marvel universe is always about eight years old. Um, you know, from the time the Fantastic Four first showed up. So, yep. yeah. Yep, the that's the Franklin Richards um right <laughs> version. I really want to get uh next time we have uh Douglas Wolk on uh we got to have him just break down that whole theory about how uh Franklin Richards is is keeping everyone in the Marvel universe from aging because I just love that theory. Yeah, and for listeners who who don't know and we've mentioned it before but Franklin is uh in, in the future he will be a the one of the the kids of Reed and Sue. Yes. Richards. So mm-hmm. he's he and his sister uh, Valeria, they they both are uh, powered individuals who are who, um, and Franklin is hugely powered. So that's where these theories start to come into play. And he does he can create a universe. Um, they so even as a kid still, yeah. Um, so there's lots of crazy theories with him, and that they make sense because yeah. he's so so insanely powered. So tangent again. But um, so there's some some good and bitter bittersweet news for Peter. Um, yeah, he's he's not going to be rid of Flash Thompson anytime soon. No, Just, you know he's, he's getting not. out of yeah. high school, but he won an academic scholarship, 
and Flash won the athletic scholarship. So they're both going to Empire State University on a full ride scholarship. Yep. So that's pretty cool. Um, he actually did more than win the academic scholarship. He had the highest scholastic average in the school's history. Yeah. So Pe- Peter's really smart pants. Yeah. Yeah. Putting him over for how smart he is. Peter has to sit through a commencement <laughs> address by J. Jonah Jameson, but he survives it. Yes. Um, <laughs> Jameson works overtime to butter up Peter and Aunt May after the ceremony because Peter, uh, in the last issue, sold some photos to the Daily Globe instead yes. of uh, the Daily Bugle. So Jonah wants to get get in his good graces and get some good photos from him. Again. Yeah, and and just anytime uh, Ditko has J. Jonah Jameson pretending to be a nice guy, he just has this way of, like, he's so over the top with it, and it just comes off as so hilarious and disingenuous. Um, I just love it. it I, it's so <laughs> transparent and, and so, yeah, just just sleazy. It's great. Yeah, and now I can't think of anything but Stan Lee or how Ditko perceives Stan Lee. <laughs> I know, I know. Like, yeah. Steve, Stevie buddy, come on, let's do this. And he's like, oh, he's going to make me work all night. You know, it's just yeah, exactly. <laughs> whatever it is. Um, so, but the the love triangle uh, for Peter, uh, the, the ladies have left him. Yeah, so it's not, not it's, much of a triangle any longer. It's just a single point now. <laughs> um, yeah. Betty Brandt doesn't show up for his graduation. Um, they've been fighting a lot for several issues, and she's not thrilled about Mary Jane. And I think right. that whole when he talked JJ into or Triple J into, um, you know, using the the, the, the spider bot the, against him. What, yeah. the, what it, was that? The robot called Spider the Slayer. They didn't call it spider the Spider Slayer, Slayer but okay. all the all the ones that come after are Spider Slayers. So yeah, that's so, the first. Yeah. One. So basically, the the irony there is he he really made her mad by by trying to get himself killed, um, that, <laughs> and she doesn't even know of that. So yes. uh, uh, she's also not thrilled about the mysterious Mary Jane Watson. Yeah. So um, mm-hmm. then Liz Allen gives both Peter and Flash the brush off at the start of the story. Um, she shows up a few times, looking extremely sad, but we don't know why. By the end, she, she reveals that she really did have a legitimate crush on Peter. Um, but she thought he always seemed to prefer other girls like Betty or that Mary Jane. Yep. So Liz thinks Peter always thought of her as a dizzy blonde, but she's decided it's time for me to graduate out of that part of my life also. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And if I can give a, uh, a spoiler for future episodes. Um, so about 100 issues later. Um, we're going to learn that the molten man is Liz's stepbrother. Maybe they're going to retcon and say, that's the reason she was so sad, uh, during this issue. Um, neither Stan nor Steve Ditko winds up working on that issue. So, um, you know, I, I could see them trying to retroactively justify that, but no, I mean, at this point it seems like she's just really broken up about the fact that, you know, Peter, uh, didn't seem to return her very sincere affections and, um, she's just moving on with her life. She's, you know, she's out of high school and, and she's going to just turn over a new leaf. And for her, she was very upset that Peter finally snapped and got into a fight yeah. uh, with Flash and his cronies. That's right. So, yep. Yeah. And I think that was the, the last big breaking point for Peter and Liz. I love that. We're just, we're just getting into the, the lady problems with Peter Parker. <laughs> it is. Um, <laughs> and, and, but it, it's, this is, I mean, this is a really kind of 
huge issue. Like Molten Man is not a major Spider-Man villain, um, but everything else that goes on around that story um, is actually really you know, pretty important. Like, I mean, this is a pretty bold declaration. Like it, it, this is the start of a new life for Peter Parker. He's yeah. he's moving on to college. He's he's growing up. You know, he's not a kid anymore. And uh, just, you know, really foreshadowing, like there's a lot of changes that are, are happening in his life right now. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see how everything plays out. Also, Aunt May, I forgot about that. There, there's so much, yeah, soap opera drama in this. JJ is almost hitting on Aunt May. Yes. He's just like <laughs> fawning over her. And part of it's he's just trying to butter up Peter, but he's really seems like he thinks she's uh really attractive yeah it's and maybe that's just him going over the top but uh it is a it is a thing that comes back um in different parts throughout peter parker's life that's true this weird (laughs) weird relationship between aunt may and triple j yep he's a charmer uh okay on that note uh, let's go ahead and take a break um and when we come back i i want to do uh another take on uh nick fury because uh so far we've seen two issues of this agent of shield and uh they both been pretty great so oh yeah i'm yeah. with you on that awesome all right well let's take a break um we come back we will talk nick fury agent of shield here on marvel by the month Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Uh, we're going to be talking about the first story in Strange Tales number 136. Uh, this is the Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. story. Um, the title of the story is Find Fury or Die. It's written by Stan Lee. The layouts are by Jack Kirby with art by John Severin. Um, and uh, this is the second installment of the new Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. series. It's running in Strange Tales. Um, like that first issue, uh, the plot of this one is basically Nick Fury trying to get from point A to point B while Hydra is trying to kill him. Um, that kind of winds up being the template for a lot of early S.H.I.E.L.D. stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, the reason I really wanted to talk about this one was because uh, this is the first Silver Age appearance of John Severin in a Marvel comic. Um, if you count, well, maybe not Silver Age, but the first Marvel Age appearance uh, of John Severin. Um So uh, if you're not familiar with him, he started contributing cartoons to the Hobo News, um, which was one of the very first street newspapers. So like if you're familiar with Street Roots or anything like that, um, this is basically the predecessor of all of those. Um, And uh, it it was something that started being published during the Great Depression. Um, And uh, he was uh, contributing cartoons to that uh, while he was still in high school in the 1930s. So um, definitely, yeah, uh, he, he... you got to start real early on. Um, he contributed to various publications and studios in the 1940s uh, before he joined EC Comics in 1951, where he primarily illustrated war and science fiction comics. Um, He's one of the five original artists who launched EC's original version of Mad, um, and that was before it became the only EC comic to survive the comics code by becoming <laughs> a magazine. Um, but yeah, he, he was one of the originals. I think he, he did art in something like nine of the first 10 issues of mad. Um, and he was, uh, really well respected by his peers. Um, he had a reputation as being an artist who paid a lot of attention to getting the details right. Um, uh, Mark Evanier, uh, who, uh, writes a lot about comics and is a comics writer himself, 
um, and former studio assistant to Jack Kirby, um, he said that Jack Kirby used to say that when he had to research some historical costume or weapon for a story, it was just as good to use a John Severin drawing as it was to find a photo of the real thing. They don't make them like that anymore. Wow. Yeah. That's high praise. Yeah, especially when it's coming from Kirby, because that's a guy who he took the technical aspects of his drawing very seriously. So Severin went to Timely Comics after EC was put out of business. Um, he drew mostly Westerns and war comics uh, for Timely. He left shortly before Timely rebranded as Marvel Comics. Uh, I think the last stuff he did for Timely was in 1960. Um, and his uh, his sister, Marie Severin, um, joined Timely in 1959. Uh, she stuck around in production for years. She eventually became the company's head colorist. And uh, many, if not most, of the comics that we're reading right now, um, the colorist is always uncredited in these early ones. But Marie Severin did most of the colors um, in a lot of these early Marvels. I was more familiar with her name than John's. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, uh, just because she was, she appeared for so long in so many comics. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, and, yeah. and and starting in the early seventies, she got away from doing color work um, because she wanted to get more work uh, as a, a penciler and inker. Um, so she wound up uh, doing a lot more. I, I think she co-created the original Spider Woman. And a couple other like fairly major characters, like Marvel uh, 70s characters. But yeah, uh, so John, uh, he continued working for Marvel for decades. He illustrated Sergeant Fury, The Incredible Hulk, uh, and a lot of other war and fantasy titles. Um, he also illustrated war comics for DC and horror comics for Warren in the 1970s, 1980s, and 2000s. And he was uh, possibly the most prolific contributor to Cracked magazine back when Cracked was a magazine. Uh, oh, I and, loved that magazine. Uh, yeah, I did too. <laughs> That's where I knew him mostly from. Uh, he did a lot of, like, most of the covers of Cracked, um, and he was, like, one of their lead artists for years and years and years. So, um, um, anyway... That's my type five on uh, John Severin. Uh, so uh, what happens in this story? Do you want to walk us through uh, what Nick Fury is actually getting up to here? Yeah, uh, in in such a beautiful way. The, the first moment I opened this, um, uh, I was struck by how awesome this art is. Oh, I know. I, I don't I don't even know how to describe it. I was like, this isn't Kirby. This is I'm possibly better in some way. Yeah. And because uh, Kirby, yeah, Kirby does the layouts, but then Severin does the pencils on top of it. And he's doing that crazy detailed style that he has. So it's just yeah. you're getting the, the energy and the dynamic aspect of Kirby. But you're getting this like really technical, detailed uh, line work that Severin brings to the table. It's a great combination. Yeah, it's it's it, it just that first page just took my breath away. But so um Nick Fury, it's, it's him walking down a street in, with like his tie in the wind, but he's, you see him in a viewfinder of this crazy video camera of some sort, but uh, just that page is so great. Um, yes. So he's walking through Manhattan on his way to his shield headquarters, which is located under a barber shop. Um, he passes and recognizes a number of undercover Hydra agents. Um, and they think they're doing a better job of concealing their identities than they are. He's just on to everybody. Yes. Um, so much gad gadgetry on display, both for S.H.I.E.L.D. and HYDRA. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you've got that crazy video camera um, that you mentioned that opens the uh, the story. Um, 
and then you've got uh, there. There's a guy buying a newspaper from a vendor on the corner. Both of them are Hydra agents, um, and uh, one of them is holding up a quarter that has like a little microphone hole and a little speaker hole in it, and they're like communicating with base. Uh, just it's just like very very straight up Mission Impossible James Bond style like secret spy gadgetry. It's so cool. Yeah. And it's, it is way over the top. Um, that's, that's the other thing about these, these, uh, new agent of shield, um, issues. They're just so over the top. Mm -hmm. Every spy gimmick and, you know, whatever method of interacting, it's just all there. Um, so, so he gets to, uh, two Hydra agents follow fury into the barber shop. He's like tipped off the other people in the shop that the shield agents are coming. Um, they get locked into barber chairs. Um, yes. Then Fury brainwashes them to convince them that Shield headquarters is in a nearby warehouse. Um, then Fury's barber chair sinks into the floor, bringing him to Shield's real headquarters. Yes. So these uh, brainwashed goons um, go uh, tell everyone in Hydra that where you know to go to this warehouse. So they attack the warehouse next door. And then Shield traps all of them with all kinds of crazy stuff. It's, it's great. <laughs> it's like this insane Rube Goldberg uh, like warehouse trap. Yeah, one room full of sticky goo, and another was spinning. Just it's a spinning room. They can't. I don't know how. Uh, <laughs> there's electrified walls. They have even a, a fake scene painted on walls outside of a window uh, of a room, so that the guys think they're going to escape, and they just hit another wall. Yeah, um, it's, it's very just, like Roadrunner and Coyote it's, stuff. Yeah, it's, but somehow it's still just so fun and they i mean they do everything like the street builds walls come up out of the street and catch the people outside it's yeah insane um so uh the hydra agent in charge of the mission section leader b is then punished for his failure yeah um (laughs) and and we know we know what's going to happen here like we saw in the previous issue hydra does not tolerate failure I just don't know how they keep any management, but um, we'll see. Here's you know. how they do it: is when you when you cut one limb off, two oh. more will take this place. Yeah, is that's that's, that's the secret formula. Uh, works exponentially. Um, <laughs> so Fury isn't impressed at at Shield's victory at all. Everyone, you know, is pretty happy they've caught all these people, but right. they only caught nobodies, as he says. As and he knows Hydra is still out there, as dangerous as ever. Yeah. Uh, so the the actual plot is pretty thin, but it's still just fun. Oh, it's it's all about the expression of it. Um, yeah, the, the the artwork, the storytelling. Yeah, and again, just like the combination of Kirby's energy and Severin's detail work, uh, I, I love this issue. Uh, this might have been my favorite thing that we read this month. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's Hydra agents on jetpacks. Yeah. Um, there's uh and everyone's saying hail hydra it's all all the time which is, <laughs> i don't know why i like that so much but it's it just cracks me up yeah I, i'm totally looking forward to reading more of these um so yeah uh let's go ahead uh take our what i think is going to be our final break of the episode uh and then when we come back uh this is a big month for thor we got a ton of stuff to talk about uh and i'm really excited to get into it so don't go anywhere we'll be right back <laughs> Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. This is a big month for Thor. 
not only do we have the regular issue of Journey into Mystery, number 119, that came out this month, um, but also we have the first Journey into Mystery annual um, that has a new Thor story in it. So let's go ahead and jump into Journey into Mystery, number 119. Uh, this one was written by Stan Lee. The art is by Jack Kirby, inked by Vince Coletta. Um, as usual, it's got the two stories. Uh, it's got the main story, which is called The Day of the Destroyer. Um, then it's got the uh, short backup Tales of Asgard Gather Warriors. So, Journey into Mystery 119, uh, the main story. Uh, so this is a continuation of last month. Um, in the previous issue, uh, Thor encountered the Destroyer. And so, uh, yeah, <laughs> so here's how that all went down. Uh, after his adventure in Vietnam, uh, Thor gets knocked out by a big game hunter who hits him with an anesthetic shell. Um, and I just realized when I was putting the notes together for this episode, we never learned this guy's name. Um, he's just referred to as a hunter or an adventurer. So, but he's just, he's like your typical, like, you know, great white man hunter, like really, you know, insensitive to his native, you know, travel guides, uh, and things like that. Um, just like a total jerk, uh, all the way around the kind of guy who would shoot Thor with an anesthetic <laughs> shell. So, uh, he then, uh, investigates with, with Thor knocked out. The explorer then investigates a nearby hidden Asgardian tomb where he finds and activates the destroyer, which is an unstoppable juggernaut of destruction created by Odin with power rivaling his own. And he finds all this cause Loki's nudging him with his mind. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Loki's nudging him in this direction because he wants to cause trouble for Thor. Yeah. Because remember, Thor is on Earth to find the Norn Stones, which is the evidence that Loki cheated during the trial of the gods. Uh, wow, which is all ago. the yeah, that's the end of season two for us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we're getting some continuity now. Um, but yeah, so the destroyer. If you remember the giant robot thing at the end of the first Thor movie um, that trashes the town where Thor is hiding out. Uh, that's the destroyer with the eye beam uh, that just cuts through everything. Um, cuts so, through uh, everything. Yeah. Everything. Even, even a nearly nigh indestructible hammer. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like not only can the destroyer lift Mjolnir because it's got Odin's power, um, it slices the head of it in half yeah. with destructive beams. <laughs> so like at that moment, you know that Thor is in serious trouble here. I thought he was going to yeah. turn right into half lame dr blake <laughs> that would have been great <laughs> uh yeah uh so you know loki's watching all this in asgard at first he's getting a kick out of it and then he realizes like oh man thor's probably gonna die here and if he dies uh everyone's gonna know loki was behind it so he frantically tries to get odin to stop the destroyer odin's the only uh, the only entity who can um, but Odin is in the middle of his 24 hour sleep of life, which he has to do once a year, um, to sustain his immortality. He cannot be awoken. Um, so Loki gets thrown in prison for trying to disturb Odin. At the same time, the destroyer is readying a lethal blast that will finish Thor off once and for all. Um, so that's where the previous issue ended. Um, now when we resume in journey into mystery number 119, Thor barely avoids the destroyer's lethal blast by becoming unsolid. He slips through the floor to escape. He doesn't know how this happened, but he's very happy that it did. Um, turns out it was Loki's magic. Uh, he cast it from Asgard, um, and the effort basically knocked him out cold uh, just doing this. Um, when he comes to, he sends an urgent request for help to the Norn Queen, who lent him the magic stones that allowed him to win the trial of the gods. So, again... Um, you know, reaching back into that continuity. 
Um, and, uh, you know, as Loki's doing all this, Thor is doing his best, but it's not enough. Like, he literally brings down the ceiling of the tomb on top of the destroyer, eh, who just kind of shrugs it off. Um, so it's really clear that Thor is not going to win this one on his own. So uh, Thor comes up with plan B. He races back uh, to the original human body of the explorer um, whose brain has been projected into the destroyer. Um, and Thor is holding the hunter's body. He's like, if you blast me, you're going to blast your body too. Um, and it's it's going to be lost to you forever. Um, but the destroyer is, it just responds like it's only got one mission. It can't help but destroy everything in its path. I mean, what part of the destroyer do you not understand? <laughs> it destroys. It's yeah. very simple. And he also, you know, thinks that Thor won't uh, sacrifice his hunter body. So right. his yeah. human form, because mm-hmm. Thor has pledged not to. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Ne- never to allow a, a mortal to uh, come in danger. So. Um, but fortunately for everyone involved, Loki's message reaches the Norn Queen in time. Uh, Loki begs her to wake Odin so he can save Thor, and she does. Um, Odin wakes. Uh, he looks down at Earth, sees Thor, tells him to stand aside, but Thor refuses. Uh, Thor called the hunter's bluff. Uh, the destroyer does not blast him. Um, instead, the hunter transports his mind back into his original body. Um, and then he tries to pull a fast one on Thor and tries to dash back to the destroyer, but Thor hauls him out of the tomb and brings it crashing down, uh, so that no one, uh, can ever release the threat of the destroyer ever again. Or at least um, for a so hundred years, I think is what he right. says. Right. Something <laughs> no one, like that. No one yeah. will find this for a hundred years. That's Or until we, until we decide we didn't want to tell another destroyer story. Yeah. So it's a happy ending and it gets a little bit happier. Um, even though Thor survived and he didn't need Odin to help him. Uh, Odin totally knows Loki is behind the resurrection of the destroyer. Um, and, uh, he <laughs> sentences Loki to a period of servitude under the Royal warlock Ularic. Um, and that mostly seems like a punishment for poor Ularic who has done nothing wrong <laughs> as right. far as I can tell. And now he's Loki's <laughs> boss. So he's right. going to have a terrible time. Can you imagine trying to supervise someone like Loki? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I Noah. I worked with Noah a lot, and I was his supervisor. <laughs> Imagine if Noah had magic powers. Oh God, uh, <laughs> we'll have to talk to him about that very soon. Yes, I think so. So anyway, our our story here ends with Thor uh, trying and failing to fly with the damaged Mjolnir. Um, uh, so he he can't fly away um, because the hammer's busted, but. Uh, he's got Loki's Norn stones, so he just picks one of those out and he levitates with it and he flies away to find a forge to repair his hammer. And once that's done, he promises that there will be a final reckoning between him and Loki. So there you go. You got that to look forward to. Yeah, but uh, but wait, there is more. Oh, there is more. Yeah. Do you want to uh, tell us a little yeah. bit about the Tales of Asgard backup story? Sure. Thor and Loki and their army are about to set sail into the unknown. So we're back in the past. That's, you know, just for everyone who, <laughs> who doesn't know. Right. Tales of Asgard is the history of before we get to the normal Thor story. So um, Odin's great oversword, which will be unsheathed at Ragnarok, has been cracked and they have been tasked with discovering why. So uh, this just if if you pull this sword, this giant sword out of the sheath, 
Ragnarok starts. Um, right. Those are the rules. So uh, the story is <laughs> why told you in... would keep that just lying around. I don't know, but <laughs> I, you know, I'm not a, a, a Norse god. So yeah, or Doctor Strange. He's just got like a house full of things that can destroy universes. Um, right. So uh, the story is told in five pages increments so it's slow going but in yeah. this five page increment we meet the warriors three for the first time um which is awesome hogan the grim the silent sinister mystery warrior uh none can probe his innermost thoughts that's the quote <laughs> of somebody talking about hogan um fandral the dashing or fandral um an errol flynn type swashbuckler and uh, last but certainly not least uh one of my favorites of of the pantheon um volstag the enormous <laughs> he is quote a blustering boasting giant of a warrior uh who seems based heavily on shakespeare's john falstaff uh, yes he's he's so he's like the past his prime uh warrior so and he's just huge um yeah but he doesn't know he's past his prime he won't admit to it so it's right, just, right. just that and I've always loved that character since I was a kid. So I'm excited to see him appear. Uh, he, yeah. He turns up time and time again. Uh, they even make it, he makes it into uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So Yeah, I think all three of them do. Yeah. Um, they, they wind up being really core supporting characters uh, of the book for decades to come. Yeah. I mean, even some very recent huge Thor storylines and it's the war of the realms. That's what it's a huge crossover thing called the war of the realms. And it's cool to see them appear this early uh, because they're basically fully formed from the start. They're, uh, yeah, they're, they're these specific archetype characters and uh, Yeah. yeah. So the story ends with a dramatic cliffhanger. Before they set sail, Odin summons them to see something at the Imperial Palace. Um, it pulls back a big curtain, and somebody has basically graffitied into the wall. Rag- <laughs> Ragnarok is coming. Um, who? How? We'll find out five pages per month at a time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I was I was um, doing the math on this. I'm not sure we even reached the end of this storyline at the by the end of our uh, our season here. Um, we'll probably check in on it another time or two before the season is over. But um, this one goes on for quite a while. Yeah. We'll, um, we'll let and, you know the big points <laughs> yeah, as they're yeah. discovered. Yeah. It basically is like it's like a version of the Odyssey or something like that. Like, I mean, it's a it's a long trip by boat uh, with many adventures along the way. Um, but it's it's a it's a pretty cool story. Um, there's a lot of good beats to it. Um, and, you know, Kirby is obviously having a lot of fun with it. So that's all good. Well, there's one more um, bit of Thor stuff to uh, cover off on this episode, and that's Journey into Mystery Annual number one. Um, and, uh, so there's one original story in this one, which is called when Titans clash. Uh, it was written by Stan Lee. The art is by Jack Kirby inked by Vince Coletta. Um, and then, uh, in addition to that, there's a double page pinup of the city of Asgard. Um, and then there's reprints of a bunch of early Thor issues, uh, number 85, 93, 95, and 97. Um, so, uh, 
yeah, so first of all, When Titans Clash, this is the second time this title has been used in a Marvel comic. Um, I'm going to keep count of these um, because <laughs> I also wrote a book called When Titans Clash when I was in high school. So uh, I feel very, uh, um, I feel a sense of ownership over this title. Uh, were, uh, were you having gods fighting in your book? I had, it, it was, it, it was a, uh, a funny story about um, my real life friends getting superpowers and everyone just being a total disaster screw up <laughs> uh, friend of the podcast and former guest Jamie Lewis was one of them. So nice. Um, I would love yeah. to read that. It's pretty good. Uh, well, it's actually not good. I mean, I wrote it when I was 15, but it's a lot of fun. So. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so this one, uh, also a lot of fun. Uh, this is another sort of like Tales of Asgard type story that takes place long before the current continuity. Um, but it starts out with Loki and uh, Thor riding into the forbidden land of Jotunheim. I'm going to say that's how that's pronounced. Mm -hmm. um, it's where the uh, storm giants live. So uh, Thor is out looking for glory. Uh, Loki is looking for a way to kill Thor and make it look like an accident. <laughs> the usual. <laughs> so, the usual. Uh, after tussling with a couple of storm giants, Thor accidentally falls through a hidden portal to Olympus, the land of the Greek gods. Um, and uh, one of the first folks he meets there is Hercules. Um, and uh, neither one of them is willing to let the other one cross a very narrow bridge first. So they have a big fight because that's how gods go. Um, they're very evenly matched. They, they wrestle and, and, you know, fight all over Olympus, uh, until Zeus, the king of the Greek gods puts a stop to it. Um, Zeus, like, like a dad, uh, makes them shake hands, uh, and they wind up parting as friends. Um, and then, uh, Zeus sends Thor back to Jotunheim and causes a mountain to rise up over the portal, hiding it from Loki and everyone else. Yeah, it's um, it's a pretty so, good introduction of Hercules. Yeah, he's yeah yeah, um, and he he is an, another god that stays with the Marvel universe. So it's yeah, uh, it is a big deal to see him uh, show up, and he's he's a pretty funny character, and he's almost fully formed here. He's not quite the Hercules <laughs> of the of the Greek myths. He's he's a little more of of a macho dude. <laughs> yeah I, yeah i say he's very very brash uh very impulsive he's got an ego and a chip on his shoulder but is at his core heroic he's just prone to doing some pretty stupid and impulsive things before he finally gets around to doing the heroic thing yeah and it's it is weird that we've been only in the norse mythology um and then why why hercules you know? Right. Well, well, why Herc I can act actually answer that question. Um, the reason that they worked uh, Hercules into this is, I mean, it's the reason that Stan puts just about anything in a Marvel comics because it was popular at the time um, in, <laughs> in other popular cultures. So um, Hercules was hugely popular uh, on the big screen at the time. Um, so between 1957 and 65, there were about two dozen Italian Hercules movies. Uh, that had come out um, originally uh, starred Steve Reeves in the role um, in the first couple, but yeah, they just churn these things out like three, four, five a year. Wow. And eventually these Italian Hercules movies uh, would give way in the mid sixties to the spaghetti Westerns. Nice. Um, so like Sergio Leone um, and uh, you know, good, bad, and the ugly and all that. Um, so came straight out of that tradition. Um, and some anyway, awesome horror yeah. movies, like as it, as it yes. hits the seventies, uh, probably many of these, these crew members <laughs> that were working yep. on the circulating movies were working on some, 
sweet, insane uh, Italian horror movies and zombie oh, movies. Oh, absolutely. Little, little Suspiria action. Yeah. You know, again, this is just Stan Lee. He's always, you know, got his radar tuned to what our kids consuming, you know, in popular culture. Let's do our version of that. And, and Kirby also, you know, like, I mean, he was another guy who's, uh, he was paid a lot of attention to fashion and to, you know, various trends. Um, he was always looking to do, you know, like we talked about this, um, last episode with Asian, uh, with Nick Fury, Asian of shield, that uh, it's always great to watch Kirby see a thing, uh, and then run it through the Kirby filter. So, you know, whether it's, you know, Greek gods or super spies, like you, you get his version of it. Um, right. <laughs> and it's always just a joy to see. Yeah. And it's fully formed. It's just like he, he, I, I kind of understand that. Um, it's like, it's like he does a cover. He, he hears a great song and he does a cover yeah. and it barely sounds like the song or it does, yes. but it's like louder and more awesome. It's, it's yeah, like exactly. me first in the gimme gimme's covering yes. um old songs that's what <laughs> i feel like that's that's the kirby filter he makes it bigger and more you know more poppy more uh yeah just louder and cooler <laughs> yeah it's man that's that's a recipe for success as far as i'm concerned yeah all right man well let's bring this thing home uh let's talk about a few marvelous moments that we didn't have time to get to um in the rest of the episode um, you got anything uh, off the top of your head that you would like to, uh, to have, chat about? Yeah, I have one thing that really struck me that uh, I didn't get into our notes, but I wanted to oh, yeah. talk about um, the the Submariner story. So the Gene Colon work, I was like not warming up to him very much um, with just the faces, like the the way right. he draws faces. But uh, the Namor story is awesome. <laughs> just yes, it, it is. The, the art is so cool, and there's I had a few contenders, um, like page page eight, panel one, has it's just Namor swimming uh, on a side like profile view, but it's the way there's the way it's been colored too, is uh, mm-hmm. super trippy and cool. Well, you mentioned Ditko, um, and although we didn't cover this, um, uh, uh, you know, early in the episode, um, but he plotted and drew uh, Spidey's uh, second annual uh, this month as well. Um, and it had one new story in it, The Wondrous World of Doctor Strange. Um, this is the first real crossover with Doctor Strange. Um, I think they crossed over in like a panel or two in the previous annual. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the first time they actually have an adventure together. They team up against Zandu. Uh, he's a sorcerer who seeks to combine two halves of the Wand of Watum. Uh, man, all the Doctor Strange stuff is so much fun to say. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a magical artifact of incredible power. Um, and, you know, uh, he manages to put it together, but, you know, our heroes save the day despite that. Um, and Xandu doesn't exactly stick around as a villain. Um, he shows up a handful of other times. Um, and then, this is terrible, but he, he winds up getting poisoned and blown up by the Punisher while attending a wake for Wilbur Day, state stilt man. Oh. So I guess I... I guess I just also revealed that Stiltman at some point dies. Well, he does <laughs> die, but uh, the the stilt the stilts live on. So um, yeah, nice. I'll just say that that there there's more than one Stiltman. It's a legacy. If the name of that story isn't the Stiltman Rises, uh, <laughs> I'm going to be very disappointed. Um, uh, it's an Easter yeah. treat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah so like in the rest of the the annual uh, it's just basically reprints uh it, it's got some pinup pages of spidey villains and it reprints uh spider-man one two and five um and i noticed this in both of the annuals that we talked about this this episode um that there's they're mostly reprints which at first i was like that's kind of cheap you know considering that we were getting so much original stuff in some of the early annuals Uh and then i realized like we're now four or five years into the marvel age of comics there's no back issue market um there's no comic book stores if you didn't get these things when they were first out or you didn't get them on in one of some of the very few reprint books that they were doing at the time like you'd have a really hard time tracking these things down. So if I'm a kid in 1965 and I've only recently discovered Spider-Man or Thor, maybe I'm pretty excited to pay 25 cents and get, you know, three or four 12 cent books plus a new story. Um, you know, it, I think the economics of that work out. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I remember in the, in the seventies when I was just a kid, um, I was, you know, like six and seven, my dad would have some of the annuals and I would, so I would have some of the information when I really started reading, I already kind of knew some of the origin stories, some of the, cause they often had those in annuals going forward. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I found a few like Hulk annuals when I was a kid at the junkyard, that my family ran, mm-hmm. uh, so like just in a car, I found like this giant Hulk annual that was partly burned and it, I still read the whole thing. It smelled terrible. Um, <laughs> so I just, yeah, I have a soft spot for those. Yeah, totally. A couple other quick notes. Uh, the, uh, the swordsman uh, who knew Hawkeye as a carny child, uh, he tangles with the Avengers in a two part story. We'll probably get around to discussing that next episode. Yeah. Um, the I- fantastic. F- oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, that I was going to say the Fantastic Four. Um, they're they're mm-hmm. still tangling with the Frightful Four. Uh, in Fantastic Four number 42, we've read 42 issues of Fantastic Four. I know. Uh, for this. I mean, we, of course, read other things uh, in our lives. Um, and and Ben Grimm is still brainwashed. Um, and they, they uh, brainwashed Johnny, too. So it's just like yeah. Sue and read trying to not die from the frightful six at this point um yeah yeah well and and most of this issue is ben and reed just having a knockdown drag out fight um so yeah we'll definitely be talking about that when when that story wraps up yeah. uh next episode um and just uh you know go through the high points of that one because again like frightful four biggest threat the fantastic four have ever faced up until this point uh, and they just keep bringing it to him yeah and now it's very escalated. <laughs> yeah, insane. yeah. Um, and then uh, speaking of escalation, um, the Titanium Man makes his debut in Tales of Suspense number 69. Um, he's basically a bigger, more powerful version of Iron Man. Um, and uh, he and Iron Man, uh, they scrap uh, in a story that ends in a cliffhanger. Um, so we'll be getting around to talking about that one in the next episode or two. Um, but yeah, like you said earlier, like so much good stuff this month. Um, really Marvel's just starting to fire on all cylinders. Yeah. Um, Mid sixties is where it really starts to take off. And like, honestly, you get into like 67, 68, 69. It's just, it's an incredible time for Marvel comics. Um, okay. Last thing we got to do, uh, we got to somehow go through, the nine or 10 books that we read this month um, and all those pages and pick out one panel each uh, for our panel of the month. Man. Um, 
I will, I'll, I'll go ahead. Um, uh, I chose something from amazing Spider-Man 28. I don't know if this is cheating or not, but I chose the cover. Um, I, I think it's the first time I've ever highlighted a cover as my panel of the month. Um, it's, again like a cover is meant to be like really visually interesting and you know it's meant to jump out at you um from the stand so this felt a little like i was cheating but it is such a striking cover um like 95 percent of this cover is black ink um and you just have like the outline of spidey's costume drawn in red and the molten man's golden skin glimmering in the literally inky darkness yeah um it's so visually arresting. Like I can only imagine like seeing this on the newsstand next to everything else. That thing is just going to, your eye is going to be drawn to that every single time. It's such a really visually like beautifully composed, um, and just arresting, uh, image. I love it. Yeah. It's, uh, that, that I've said this before, but when Ditko sort of ditches the, when there's Spider-Man in the shadows, um, yeah, yeah. Whenever he's, he's using that, that huge chiaroscuro contrast, um, it's like, uh, it's and like Frank Miller doing, I mean, that's the easiest thing to say for people to yep. reference in their mind like that, like Mike Mignola, Hellboy or yep. Sin City, you get this, I, that is my favorite kind of art. So when it, when it happens like that, I agree it's one of Ditko's most beautiful pieces and it's, I, I feel bad because it's the molten man, which is just like a yeah. throwaway villain, but um, yeah, yeah. It's still so good. Yes, there was so is. much, it was so hard to make a, a decision this month. I, yeah. What'd you come up with? Well, I first, I struggled through not picking something from Gene Colan for the Namor story. And then I struggled through not picking something from the Spider-Man annual with so many, mm. there's, there's some Spider-Man, in the weird multi-dimensional spaces that Doctor Strange encounters, uh, yeah. there's so so many awesome things, and uh, and it's beautiful. So, so I didn't pick that because uh, <laughs> uh, uh, o- over that um, I mentioned this already, but Strange Tales number one thirty six, um, the the Nick Fury story on uh, page one, yeah. panel one. It's just one. It's a. It, it should be the cover, I think, but um, it is the the guy with this crazy gizmo um, that's a, a camera and and somehow, you know, like a recorder too of, of audio, but he's obviously far away and, and just this, it's this way to highlight Nick Fury in his fancy suit, you know, being a James Bond kind of guy. Mm-hmm. But it's, but the details behind him, the like the bricks on the building are drawn. Yes, um, yeah. Yeah, I just thought of Jeff Darrow. I thought of Hard Boiled, and I thought of he's done some um, cover work for like Transmetropolitan for Warren Ellis. Yeah, um, yep. and he's done a zillion, zillion things. He, and but mainly Hard Boiled because I was like Frank Frank Miller wrote it, and Darrow did the art, and it's some of my favorite comics work. Um, it also reminded me of Mobius. Um, yeah. So I, I think I think both of them had uh, had some inspiration here, whether they they knew it or not uh just and i'm guessing they knew it <laughs> <laughs> good month of comics um and uh and as always a pleasure talking through them with you yeah it's it's nice just to talk in it now um yeah yeah uh, i sometimes i you know in my normal days uh at work and other places i get to talk about nerdy horror sci-fi comic books things um uh, but 
that hasn't been the case. So yeah. <laughs> it's really yeah. nice to, to uh, and it's nice to talk to everybody who's out there listening. Like I, I do, I do hope that our regular listeners are uh, getting again, just some distraction at the very least uh, listening yeah. to us yammer on about comic books. Hang in there. Uh, we'll all get through this together by Stay staying in. inside reading comics. That's um, right. And, uh, and in between uh, episodes, definitely uh, hang out with us on social media. Um, our Facebook presence is getting kind of huge. Um, I think a lot of people are hanging out on Facebook a lot lately, more than they have in a long time. Yeah, uh, I, I'm one of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so uh, look for us at uh, facebook.com slash marvelbythemonth. Uh, Instagram is still obviously going very strong, at uh, marvelbythemonth on Instagram. Um, and uh, the website, marvelbythemonth.com, uh, where you can buy yourself or someone else all manner of products that have the uh, stay inside and read comics Mjolnir uh, image that Rob drew. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, get yourself a T-shirt, get yourself a coffee mug, get yourself a shower curtain. What the hell? Um, <laughs> I'd like to see a good. shower curtain hanging out somewhere in Portland, <laughs> just outside, you know, as a big sign. Um, yeah. Maybe I'm going to make that happen. There you go. Yeah. Alrighty, man, we've done it again. Yes. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's do this again next week. Uh, maybe we'll drag someone else uh, in here and see if we can do uh, three people remotely um, and just multiply our technical headaches. <laughs> I think I can trick Noah into it, even though he, he's the trickster. Um, yes. Noah, I'm the royal warlock, and he is my apprentice. <laughs> uh. Right on. Well, uh, <laughs> until that comes to pass, uh, I shall remain Brian Stratton. And I shall remain Rob Mill. And we hope to see you all next week for next month. Please stay inside and read comics. Mm-hmm.